This weekend on Sportsmanlike Conduct, we will go into our usual Lions breakdown, breaking down their game versus the Steelers, another disappointment for the team, and we figure out where they go from here in the division standings. Then we will go into our usual Michigan and Michigan State talk. A little bit of a different uh, a different ending this week with Michigan being the winning team, Michigan State being the losing team. We'll break down both their seasons and kind of see where they go from there. Then we'll go into the Pistons, who are currently the top team in their division right now. We'll talk about that and what they've been able to do to be able to get there and what's going on with the Red Wings and their recent losing streak. And then we'll end with the first ever Central Michigan talk on this show. We'll talk about Central and Western Michigan, the football game coming up this week, and break that down and all that and more here on Sportsman Lake Conduct. Like Conduct, the pro sports show where we talk and you listen. I am your host. My name is Andrew McDonald, and happy Halloween to everyone as we are recording this on October 31st. It is that day. Uh, I have to my left my co host, Elena Hess. Elena, how are we doing? I'm doing great. I've had such a spooky day. <laughs> <laughs> and Evan? I'm pretty tired today, but you know, the show must go on, so I'm ready to rock. You're not ready for Halloween tonight? No. You're not trick-or-treating <laughs> no, or anything, no, dude? No, no, no. Oh, wow, that's a shame because uh, I kind of plan on trick-or-treating or something. I'm just kidding. I'm probably not going to do that. But anyways, there are a lot of sports going on right now, so there is stuff to talk about in that facet. Um, the Lions just played recently um, on Sunday night, and once again, it wasn't the result that, um, I guess, I think I think you guys both still gave them the win, or did you guys pick them, you guys picked them to lose? Yeah, you changed it, I think didn't we, you? Didn't we all mm-hmm. picked them to lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all did. So I guess it was kind of what we expected, but... I, the way that they did lose, I didn't really expect it to be that way, and that was really just the red zone struggles. Um, every time that they got down the field, I mean, this is the kind of game where you, you look at it, you look at the total yards for the Lions, 482, and you look at 15 points, and you just kind of ask yourself, how? How do we only have that many points? So, you know, really you can break it down in any way you want to, but it was kind of just that, you know, the big play um, from Juju getting that touchdown downfield. He, he broke away the, the 99-yard uh, reception for the touchdown, and that kind of just separated the Steelers enough from the Lions to be able to beat them because all the Lions could do was use Matt Prater's leg the entire game. Um, he got all 15 points for the Lions. They could not put the ball in the end zone. Very, very frustrating for Matt Stafford and company. Um, you know, when you're the highest-paid quarterback in the league, you're expected to be able to capitalize in those kind of situations and get the ball in the end zone. What I want to ask you guys first is what is wrong with the Detroit Lions red zone offense? Elena, I'll start with you. Gosh, I don't know, a lot, pretty much everything. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess... This is basically what we're used to seeing, uh, failure towards the second half of the season. So I don't know, really. For me, with the red zone, I think, I mean, that used to be Calvin Johnson's primetime spot. That was that was the go-to with Megatron was, okay, we're in the end zone, let's toss it up. They don't really have that. We saw, we saw it with Kenny uh, Galladay early in the year, but you know he, he could have helped, but, but he wasn't playing. Um, Jim Bob Cooter just just has a lot of work to do. Uh, the, the offense, the offensive line struggling, just the offense in, in general is, is struggling. There's definitely a lot of problems, and I think it's just because they don't have like, like a true red zone threat. I think what you said about Jim Bob Cooter is the most important point there. I think that his play calling was very very predictable. Um, everything that he did inside the red zone. I don't care in any situation in the game. I don't think Dwayne Washington should be in their football team. I don't think that he's good enough to be in the NFL. Um, they keep saying this guy's supposed to be better than he is, and they put him in there, and I think they just kind of think that he's going to just be better, and he isn't better. He hasn't been able to get anything done. Every time he runs, he gets stuffed to the line. He has no no way to break through that, that first hit, so it's just not working for that, and they did that multiple times instead of the five-yard line where they tried to hand it off and score with them. Didn't work. I don't know why in that situation we are not getting any success to the run pretty much this entire season, why you're not using Matt Stafford more ways, rolling him out more, letting him use his legs in the outside. Maybe he can get to the pylon and score. 
there's a reason that you have the guy. He has athleticism. He has the ability to be able to get away and be kind of elusive to be able to avoid sacks when he is in space. So I don't know why they're not using him more in that in that way. Um, but everything that Jim Bob Cooter was calling in that game was so so predictable. They finally did start to put in Theo Riddick to give him some runs, and he started to run very well, got through the line a few times, um, had some good runs, and then all of a sudden they go back to Amir Abdullah, who wasn't finding that much success. It was a lot of inconsistencies, and it seems like, to me, they're trying to push the players that they don't have that are that good into situations to be better when they're just not, they don't have the talent to be there. They're not there yet, I guess. Well, it's almost like Jim Bob Cooter doesn't trust his own offense. It almost seems like the way that you know he kind of plays his offensive line out on the field and the way that he runs things. It's almost like he doesn't even trust himself, which which you can't you can't do. I mean if you if you're coaching football and, and you're you know the head of the the offense, I mean you have to be the the guy that trusts your team and puts the guy out guys out in the field that you think are going to produce and it's almost like he just doesn't doesn't do that. Not at all. And I mean you look at it just again, Amir Abdullah is their leading rusher, 11 carries for 27 yards. I mean We talked about it all season. Yeah. It's a problem, and they, especially when they tried to use it in the red zone like they did. I mean, every single time they were down there, they gave it to him at least one or two times. Not necessarily Abdullah, but the running backs themselves. I, I mean, you got guys out here like Marvin Jones who has six catches for 128 yards. Why aren't you trying to find him when you're down there? Why aren't you mm-hmm. trying to find your tight end? I know that Ebron obviously has the issues going on right now. There's a lot of trade rumors going on with him about the Lions getting rid of him. It's been a crazy trade deadline right now with the NFL. A lot of stuff uh, going down today. Um, actually, you mentioned Calvin Johnson. I, I, I was reading something on him that people have actually approached the Lions about trying yep. to get his contract. I, I don't think it'll happen. I don't expect it to happen. But then again, I didn't expect a JHI to get traded to the uh, to the Eagles this morning or anything like that. So it, it's been all over the place today. But nevertheless, I mean, really, the the defense didn't do a bad job. They, I mean, for the most part, besides that big play, they held the Steelers in check. Well, here's the thing: when you give up just 20 points to Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, mm-hmm. and Ben Roethlisberger, pretty good job. Now, now Juju Smith-Schuster went off, but 193. But, but you know what? When you, when you do so well. Taking on Bell Brown and, and Roethlisberger, so, someone's going to do something against exactly. you. Someone's going to do something, and and Smith Schuster was just that guy. But honestly, the defense played well enough to keep the team in and, and win the whole game. The offense just just struggled. It, it was it was rough. I I just want to know from you guys right now. I mean, it, you kind of look at the division and you see it as Green Bay obviously doesn't look like a team after last week what they did, unless they have some major improvements, which we'll find out against the Lions because they play them next week on Monday Night Football. Um, they don't look like a team that can win the division without Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback. The Bears just aren't there completely. The Lions have looked at times this season like they have enough talent to be able to do it, but all of a sudden they're on this downslide. And then you have the Minnesota Vikings who are leading the whole thing with a backup quarterback. So you would expect the Lions probably to be able to win the division. Out of all four of the teams with the talent that they have and the quarterback that they have leading them, there's really no reason they shouldn't be able to win it at this point, especially against a backup quarterback when you have the highest paid one in the league, highest paid player overall. What do the Lions need to do to turn the season around right now? Well, Lions got to win. That's for sure. They need to go out there and they need to. They, they just need to play offense. They need to just do what they were doing at the beginning of the year. Throw the ball around a little bit. Don't be afraid to to kind of think outside the box with your play calling. Uh, you know, that, that's the thing that the Lions haven't done recently. They've kind of just you know stuck to the same kind of stuff. And you're at a point in your season where we got to go to Green Bay next week and you gotta you gotta play them Monday Night Football. That, that that's that's a game. I mean, you were talking about your two biggest games this season against. The Steelers, I would say, and then mm-hmm. Green Bay, back-to-back, primetime games, big games, and the Lions fell short in the first one, but I almost see this as like a second-chance kind of a game to turn things around this season, and if they lose, it's not going to be pretty the rest of the year. I agree with that. I don't think they should go into like the Packers. They've obviously been struggling without Aaron Rodgers, but I don't think it's a game they can take lightly for sure because, I mean, it's a rival game, so everybody's going to come ready to play. 
And I definitely think they could uh, win the next three games for sure until they play the Vikings. We'll see. But they should. I think they should come out with a win next week. I think the Green Bay is definitely a winnable game for them. It's just they got to find a way to be able, like you said, change up play calling. I think that that's a huge part of it right now because you can look at everything else. You can look at time possession, Lions won it. You can look at the more first downs of the game, Lions had it. Less turnovers, Lions had it. More total yards, Lions had it. You can look at every single stat in this game, and they won it on the stat sheet. They just didn't win it in the scoreboard because they couldn't capitalize when they got close. And that that's just where it's killing them right now, and I think a lot of, more of it falls in the play calling than anything else. Just simply – you got to accept right now. You don't have a running game. You got to find other ways to get it involved. You got to. I think. The, I think the Theo Riddick needs to play a lot more than he has been playing. I think that he needs to be the back that's the feature back because when he gets the ball and gets the chance to run between the tackles, he's not that bad. He can break some tackles, and when he's in open space, he's a better receiver than any of the running backs, and he can break away a lot. Use their running game almost in a passing game with like short passes and kind of you know make up for it in that way. So. That's where I think the Lions need to get better. It's just by utilizing the talent that they have more. And you know what? If other guys aren't getting it done, just don't put them on the field as much. I think that right now they're trying to force players in, and it's really just not getting them anywhere. Um, So as far as next week goes, what do you guys think with the Packers and Lions? Who comes out with the victory? Well, here's the thing. Aaron Aaron Jones for the Packers running back, he's going to run all over you. He is. uh, No matter what, just just an FYI to the Lions. So you really got to make – their quarterback Brett Hundley, you got to make him make mistakes, and you got to capitalize on his mistakes. Got to make him and, and get turnovers. You, you're not going to stop the run game; it's just not going to happen. But you, know, you got to get some turnovers, some interceptions, and I think the Lions do that. I think they come away with a 24 to 13 win. I'm going to go ahead and say that the Lions are going to come out with a 20 to 10, 21 to 10 win. I think that I think that the Lions do get the win this week. I'm gonna say 17 to 10, and I think it's on a last like a, a late fourth quarter drive, not necessarily last drive, but the Lions will get a late touchdown to be able to win the game. But I still think that they're gonna have a lot of work to do after this week. I, I think that this team right now is still struggling and on the road and uh, at Lambeau. It's never a place that's been easy for the Lions to win. Period. So I don't think I've only seen them win there once in my lifetime, really, to be honest. So. It won't be easy no matter what, but we'll see what happens. We're all picking them to win. I think that they win simply because the Packers just don't have it without Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. But then again, we all know Matt Flynn to the Lions years ago, and he played him as a backup quarterback, so we'll see what happens there. Um, but moving over to the other side of football, um, we'll start with Michigan this time. Um, college football, anyways. Uh, it finally happened. Finally. Um, what well, you guys were, you guys were kind of asking for it last week. Um, I, I said that you needed to trust Jim Harbaugh as a— uh, um, judgment and I guess his judgment wasn't necessarily correct. I think every I think every Michigan fan was asking for it. It's true. I, I Von Lowe's on the guy that I uh, do. He used to speak on this podcast and everything. He was at the game last week and he said that when Brandon Peters came into the game, you could just hear the energy change. It was a completely different atmosphere. Like everyone was so excited. And when he completed that first pass on the on the rollout to the tight end, it was just like the place erupted, like, oh, we were so right and you were so wrong kind of thing. <laughs> Almost like it was sarcastic at Michigan's coaching staff, which in a way, how can you be upset with them? Because at this point, Brandon Peters just looked like a guy that was more cool, calm, and collected. I think watching him play out there, he looked like a guy that actually read all of his reads in the pocket, and when something didn't work, he'd roll out, and no matter what, he'd get rid of the ball at the end. He never just eyed one guy the whole time, and he looked like a much— the problem with John O'Corn is he simply can't get the ball out of his hand. He hangs yep. onto it too long. One thing that I did have a problem with and that I still have a problem with is that some of this play calling for Michigan, I don't know where it was all season. I think that it was very simplified for Brandon Peters when he came into the game to be able to make those quick, easy passes to a fullback out of the backfield or an easy curl route to a receiver. I don't know where that was at for John O'Corn because as far as I could see, every play was way more complex and it was a, a tougher setup. I don't know why they didn't try to go back to some of those easier plays for him. 
I know you can't do that the whole time. You eventually have to go over the top. You have to try to find somebody else and be able to open up your offense and get the explosive play. But I don't think that they were. I don't think they were ever trying to simplify for John O'Corn like they did for Brandon Peters. Nevertheless, it's Brandon Peters' job to lose. Now it has to be. He he did capitalize on his opportunities. Three straight touchdown drives. I don't care if it's against Rutgers or who it's against when you come in as a true freshman like that. If you can accomplish something like that, I think it says a lot about the athlete that he is. Well, here's the thing. I mean, you mentioned, yes, it, it was against Rutgers, but he did it when John O'Corn couldn't. Yeah, exactly. So, that, that's the biggest thing. Exactly. It, it doesn't matter who you're playing against. John O'Corn couldn't do it. John O'Corn fumbled twice, threw an interception, and Peters comes in and... Leads three straight scoring drives. It's it doesn't impressive. matter. It doesn't matter. You know who you're playing against. You could be playing against anybody for that matter. If the guy in front of you can't do it, but you can, I- I'm just gonna say it straight up. You're a better quarterback. I-, I think Peters is just a better quarterback, and he proved it. And I think it helps that uh, Peters really doesn't have anything to lose. So he went in there, and he's like, he was more calm than O'Corn ever has been, really, because O'Corn has everything to lose, and it looks like he just did. But Harbaugh won't admit that. Uh, Peters will start the next game. Yeah, the whole fifty-one percent <laughs> chance that he's going to start the next game. Like, how could you not start him the next game? I, I don't understand why you would even take a risk to not put the guy in when he played like that. With I think that the offense and the sideline and everybody on their team kind of felt it when he started doing good. They're oh, all yeah. kind of like, "This is a new mm-hmm. life. This is a new a new feeling for us." Instead of just saying, "We got a, a fifth-year wash-up quarterback that's not going to you know really." do anything for us the rest of the year we're just going to be some average team now all of a sudden these young guys are like man maybe we can accomplish something in the season that leaves a good mark for next year um i think a lot of what we talked about the whole wilton spate thing if he will come back next year and be able to get a scholarship if brandon peters finishes the season um with the way that he played against Rutgers, if he can if he can win this night game against minnesota and take care of maryland even if he doesn't beat wisconsin and ohio state but he plays well against them what do you guys think the chances are that Wilton Spate comes back next year? I don't think the chances are good. They're not. They're not good chances. That for, that's no. for sure. But <laughs> I mean, a, a win against Wisconsin and or Ohio State would would be huge to kind of help solidify Peters as far as starter next year. Because who's beating Ohio State here with under Jim Harbaugh? Nobody. So mm-hmm. yeah, I agree I think with that. Big. Yeah, if Peters can uh, achieve a lot more than what they have been. I mean, if he can beat Ohio State, then. There's no way Spate's coming back. I think it's pretty simple for him. Play good, don't make mistakes, and just look like a, a above-average freshman. And I think that there's really no question that he comes back next year and starts for Michigan. Um, I mean, you got to feel bad for Wilton Spate's injury might have you know, been the only reason that he's going to have that you know, chance slip away from him. But at the end of the day, got to go with what you have. Yeah, <laughs> and you, what your future's going for you. Be. Exactly, and what your future's going to be. And, and Andy, going back to, to what you said, really, just the whole team morale, the way that they all kind of stepped it up once Peters mm-hmm. came in and, and started playing well. The offensive line stepped up, gave him a lot of time, gave the running backs a lot of time. I mean, you had Karan Higdon going for 158 yards and two touchdowns, and then Ty Isaac going for 109 yards. And that's two running backs going for over 100 yards. And then Kareem Walker comes out of nowhere and starts playing well. Chris Evans, 29 yards. I mean, it was it was just a running barrage, but also I mean, that, that was just because the offensive line stepped up. Peters started to throw the ball well, and when Start to throw the ball well, then you can run better. It's just, it's all part of the game of football, and it's all, it's all how it works. And I think when they got Peters in there, like that offense just became so much more fluid for Michigan. And I mean, if you're a Michigan fan, you can only hope to see that uh, coming up against Minnesota as well. I mean, ten out of fourteen for 124 yards and a touchdown doesn't like absolutely wow you, but it's just the fact that he was like so consistent and able to. I mean, besides the one uh, missed touchdown that he kind of had, I forget which receiver he's going for in that play. Um, but he did he did kind of miss an open touchdown to roll out. But I think he's going to get the benefit of the doubt to be okay after the way that he did play. 
I mean, literally, I think the one perfect example was when John O'Corn did throw his interception this game. It was the same kind of play where Brandon Peters ran to that same sideline when they both got flushed out of the pocket. John O'Corn eyed one guy the entire time and threw it tried to throw it to him and the Rutgers player just you know simply just jumped the route and intercepted the pass when Brandon Peters did that same thing along the sideline and completed the pass to Donovan Peoples-Jones he ran on the sideline and looked and looked he looked back to his left and then he looked back to his right and threw it it's just the the difference already and, and this is where I mean because I, I talked about it last week and said you pretty much have to trust Jim Harbaugh you can't go against his judgment and say that maybe this guy isn't ready you can't throw a freshman into a game when he's not you know ready and obviously the way he got thrown in this game Michigan still had a chance of losing it it was a tie game at the time so you know he comes in and, and does the job like he does you got to wonder like you know what was what were the, what was the coaching staff thinking why didn't they think that this guy you know was game ready I mean maybe they were maybe they were worried I mean I, maybe they were nervous I, I mean I, I don't know that I mean for all we know Brandon Peters could have came in and he could have laid a goose egg in it yeah, could have been real bad, real fast. It's true. So I mean, I, I mean, I guess I don't know. I guess practice only tells you so much, which is why Definitely. I was in favor of getting him in the in the rotation, maybe a little bit earlier. Um, I mean, the season, but they were all close games. You couldn't, yeah, you couldn't really get him in. That's the problem. So you couldn't really get a taste of what Peters was going to be like in game. But but yeah, I think the coaching staff was just a little bit worried, and now you know they they saw him go out and play, and they're gonna have to roll with him the rest of the year. What are you guys interested to see this week? What do you guys want to see more of? I know that's it's kind of obvious in that facet, but what do you guys want to see more of this week? I want to see more, obviously, more offense. Um, Peters, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the defense, I want them to continue to be good, uh, not do what they did against Penn State. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I just want more, I want more offense, as we all want. So. As you speak on defense, I just want to see him eliminate more of the big plays. I, I want to, like, the, the one touch on the Rutgers did get early in the game. It was a breakaway run again. Can't tell you how many times I've seen Michigan do that this year against teams earlier in the schedule when they play them. They allow this big play that, you know, if they, if they don't allow those really long plays, it's one thing if you allow, like, a 40- to 50-yard run, but you stop it and you don't score a touchdown. Then you can hold the team to a field goal, and they keep allowing these huge plays where it literally just blows up and there's no one there to stop it, and they get, like, a 70-plus-yard touchdown. That's what makes your stats look a lot worse, and that's what runs up the points for uh, the other team. So I, I really want to see them eliminate a lot of those big plays and at least limit them because they're going to happen during a game, but I want to see them limit them to not being scoring plays and then be able to stop the team to a field goal or hold them to a longer drive or whatever it is. And then obviously on offense, I mean, we, everyone just wants to see more of Brandon Peters. It's just where it's at yeah. right now. No matter what, if it's at home, if it's away, it's a night game. It's going to be a lot of people. It's, a lot of people are going to have their eyes on him. So even if it's his own fans, that's still pressure. That, that's a lot of pressure on your shoulders, especially for being a freshman. And I, I know Minnesota hasn't been a good team in the Big Ten or anything like that. Michigan should probably win this game. But nevertheless, they're a team with more talent than Rutgers, I believe. So in a night game like this, I want to see how Brandon Peters reacts to the uh, environment. Yeah, and as far, as far as I go, you know, I do want to see a little bit more Kareem Walker uh, out of Michigan. Mm-hmm. I really like what what he had to offer in the in the win over Rutgers and I and I think coming out of high school, you know, he was this four star running back prospect. He was this guy. He was this dude that everyone was talking about that was gonna be something really special. And we didn't get to see it his first year because he had the the academic issues and yeah. now now he's back kind of finally getting his role on the offense. So I'd like to see a little bit more of that. Also special teams, I think Peoples Jones and Thomas still have a long way to go. I think they still have some things to work on. Um you know, I'm hoping to see a little bit of improvement coming up this week from them. Yeah, you speak of Peoples-Jones, that's the guy that I want to see get it working more um, with Brandon Peters this week. I really want to be able to see what he can do as a as a freshman. I'm freshman, all of a sudden you're going to be like, this is what we have for the future. This is what's coming up in the years coming for us. So I really want to see what they can accomplish. And then, you know, next year when you come back with a guy like Dariq Black, all of a sudden that could look like a lot better of a receiving core. So I'm interested to see how they can improve. Um, 
Quick score predictions for Minnesota and Michigan. What do you guys got? Uh, I'll take Michigan 24-14. to 24-14. I'm going to go Michigan 28-24. Twenty-eight, twenty-four. That close. Yeah, How do they win close. it? Do they like? Do they stop them on defense? What do we got? Stop, here? Them, on, stop them on defense. Stop yeah. them on defense. Not like a, a you know no. emotion-filled game-winning drive from Brandon <laughs> nope. Peters. Okay, so you're not quite seeing the spotlight like that. <laughs> um, I, I think that Michigan does handle it and win, wins the game just fine. I think they win uh, twenty-four to ten. I think they just kind of handle the defense, holds them down enough, and I think Brandon Peters is enough for the offense and. Cron uh, Hagen continues to do what he does. Uh, 18 carries, 158 yards last week. <laughs> that's that's almost nine yards a carry, and he had the two scores. So um, he he did a good job. I think that he continues to run well for Michigan, along with Ty Isaac and uh, Kareem Walker getting into that mix. I also think that they should keep using Chris Evans kind of in that passing game a little bit. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but going over to Michigan State, I think it was a shocker of the weekend, or at least one of them. Obviously, what Ohio State did to end up topping Penn State was a pretty phenomenal ending. But this was also right there with it. Triple overtime. Northwestern takes uh, takes over and beats uh, Michigan State, thirty nine to thirty one. Um, the Spartans end up having that late drive to be able to tie the game, and all of a sudden you're like, oh god, here comes another Pat Fitzgerald Northwestern loss. You know they they have it right at the end, but they can't hang on to it quite. And they go to overtime, and they just, you know, they hang in there. They don't they don't let themselves get away. And, and Thorson absolutely played phenomenal in the game. I mean, overall stats thirty three of forty eight, almost fifty passing attempts uh, for three hundred fifty six yards. We talked about wanting to see more of Brian Lewerke. I think 39 for 57 for 455 yards and four touchdowns was a lot more. Probably the best passing game he's had. I mean, obviously, those stats get bolstered with overtime and everything else. But nevertheless, they're able to capitalize. Um, I Really, the Spartans' defense kind of just broke down in overtime. They had absolutely no answer for being able to keep uh, Northwestern out of the end zone. They let him score very easily on all their attempts. And then Brian Lewerke made a very bad play to end the game. Uh, the one turnover he had, the one pick, was the most key one of the game. He fumbled the ball, picked it up, and you're thinking, here comes another one of those Michigan State plays where they, you know, either win or tie the game on some crazy play. And he picks it up and throws across his body where two defenders were covering his receiver, and it's just a, not a good pass in that kind of situation when it was on first down. Don't don't know what he's thinking right there. Um, nevertheless, they lose. They drop all the way to uh, nearly out of the uh, AP poll. They're 24 now. Um, I think this takes away any Big Ten hopes that they had to win a Big Ten championship. I don't think any of us seriously thought they're going to do that, anyways. But now all of a sudden you got Penn State and Ohio State knocking at your door um, for your next couple games. What does Michigan State have to do really quickly here to turn around and be able to get any success in these games, Evan? Well, the first thing I want to mention real quick is that Michigan State really doesn't quit. I was really impressed with them. Like you said, the defense could not get a stop in overtime, and it was almost it was almost embarrassingly bad. They, they just could not get a stop. But the offense put together two scoring drives, and that really impressed me about Michigan State is, is they don't quit. They're not a team that gives up, and I think that that might help them. Going into the, the Penn State and Ohio State game, but, but but man, these are these are two real rough games back to back. I mean, I, honestly, you're gonna have to see this whole team play their best football in a, in a long time. It, it's gonna be really rough, uh, but who knows? College football. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it upsets happen, right? Yeah, so, it does. Who knows? I think it would be a miracle if they come out winning, but I really don't see. Uh, much success against the uh, Penn State or Ohio State for this team. They'd have to be perfect, absolutely perfect. Well, yeah, I and mean, here's the way that they they're perfect is you got Brian Lewerke. He's gonna have to throw um, out of his mind good. He can't turn the ball over at all. He's gonna have to run really well, not turn the ball over there either. L.J. Scott's gonna have to run really well as well, and, and Madre London on the ground as well. So, I mean, you're really gonna have to look at your your top two running backs and your quarterback, and like you said, they're gonna have to play perfect. No turnovers, couple touchdowns each. It it's gonna be a tough game. I mean, 
to sit here and say that that their defense is going to be able to stop Saquon Barkley, like you, you just can't say that for for a sure fact. We we thought that maybe about Michigan, but I mean Michigan's defense wasn't even able to stop them. So we'll, we'll see. It's going to come down to the Michigan State defense and some key offensive players if if they're going to want to come away with a win. Yeah, I I don't really know how they do get the job done. I think you know you got to play a Penn State team that's obviously not very happy with the way they lost, and Ohio State's all of a sudden flying high with the way that they finished that game. It's really just a bad timing uh, situation for Michigan State to walk into one of these games. I don't think they beat either team. Um, whether they hang around or not or make it a game, I could see them doing that because it's just something that Mark D'Antonio's done since he's been there. He doesn't easily get blown out um, in any way, shape, or form. So I think that they do hang in there, and the way Brian Lewerke's been playing is good. But once mm-hmm. again, I'm just going to talk about it. Brian Lewerke's their leading rusher with only 30 yards. Like, where's the, I don't know where this Michigan State running game is with the, with the running backs they have in the backfield. I know they like to use them a lot in the passing game. But, I mean, when you're talking about guys like Holmes and, uh, you know, Langford that are back there that can run, not Langford, uh, I don't know why I said that. I can't think Scott. of it. Scott, there yeah. we go, Scott. <laughs> All kind of same kind of backs. But I don't know why, you know, they can't get it going with those guys. I mean, yeah. obviously, I, we don't know if Scott should still be playing or not, but he is. So when you have those guys in there, what's going on in Michigan State's running game right now? <laughs> I think they just got to give give their guys more touches. I mean, Scott, eight touches, and then London, three touches. Mm-hmm. And I think you got you, you to give your guys more carries if you want them to succeed in yeah, if only nine carries for thirty yeah. yards is leading your team. I mean, like, come on now, you got it. You got to hand the ball off a little bit. Get more, more creative. And, and but that's the thing, though. I think, I think against Northwestern, maybe they knew they wouldn't have to to do that as much to stay in the game. But when you're playing Penn State, like you're you're gonna have to run the ball, and you're gonna have to run with with a lot of success. You're not gonna be able to beat them uh, with Lewerke's arm. His arm is pretty darn good, and he's proved it to us. But it's not that good where you can just blow him out with your arm. It's, you can't hang around. Just with Lewerke throwing the football, we're gonna have to see a lot of running from from L.J. Scott and from Madre London. I feel like uh, Michigan State's play calling was pretty predictable too. Yeah, yeah. And, and so just kind of kind of like the Lions. Kinda. Yeah, I I agree with it. <laughs> I think in the the second like or the second half or the fourth quarter, I should say actually, when they were you know getting near the end zone, it definitely was very predictable. Northwestern kind of knew it was coming. That last drive, they were playing prevent, just trying to hold them out with the bend don't break type scheme, and Michigan State was able to find a. A crazy touchdown to White. Um, he had a heck of a game. Nine receptions, 165 yards, two touchdowns. That that catch that he made in the corner end zone, I, I think that might have been the best one of the weekend, to be completely honest. That was pretty crazy. Um, but, yeah, no, they, they definitely did seem like a, a very predictable um, team for the most part the whole game. Like The scores are very inflated in this because of overtime. It was only a 17-17 to 17 game at the end of regulation, so it was two teams that kind of struggled on offense and really couldn't get it going. So I guess uh end of the day, you look at it, you know, Michigan State, they have a tough road ahead. Um do you guys think that they beat either Penn State or Ohio State? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think they keep one of them relatively close, but I don't think they win either. Yeah, not a chance. Okay, here's the quick my quick question for you. Now with this loss to uh, Northwestern, um, this puts Michigan and Michigan State both the same record. They're both 6-2 and two now. Who finishes with the better record? Michigan. Not, not that it matters for that much. <laughs> Who finishes with it? Because, I mean, right now, you're looking at it as they're both probably, I mean, the odds would say 8-4. and four. I would think for both teams. I think Michigan has a better chance to beat either Wisconsin or Ohio State. I think they have a better chance of beating Wisconsin than than I think Michigan State has of beating like Penn State. I, I think they agree. both lose to Ohio State. So, I mean, I'd put the odds in the favor of Michigan, but I, I'm not. I don't, I don't want to say Michigan because yeah. it might, that might not be the case. But yeah, I mean, I guess if I had to go with go with one or the other, I would go with Michigan just by a slim margin. I think Michigan just because I feel like they kind of have a new life like feeling right now so mm. they're like oh maybe we can't achieve a little bit this year we have like obviously Ohio State and Wisconsin so maybe 
They call it big in one of them. For sure. It's hard to say because I really haven't seen enough out of Brandon Peters yet to know he's going to be able to bring the offense. I know that John O'Corn would not be either one of those teams at the end of the season. So got to kind of see how Peters does here to end the year before I can really say what would happen. But if I had to take a guess, I would just give it to Michigan State right now. I know that Penn State and Ohio State are both very tough opponents, but I think that they're just the better overall team than Michigan at this point right now. Um, I think that Michigan's defense is very good, but I don't think they're going to be able to win either one of those games themselves, and Michigan's offense still struggles too much. I think that Michigan State has a better chance to be able to pull off a game against Penn State. I think that with the game being at home and you know maybe a little bit of a hangover type thing from uh, Penn State, maybe they don't come out as play as well, and Michigan State is able to capitalize because obviously we saw earlier in the season what happened with Penn State when they went to Iowa, they struggled on the road. So I think that could happen again. I'd say that Michigan State has a better chance to get to that nine and three. Um, Mark, but either way, I don't think either team surpasses it, so it really doesn't no, matter yeah. at the end of the day. <laughs> um, but moving on from that, we got to talk about the Detroit Pistons. I don't think there's any way that you really can't uh, when we call ourselves a, a show that talks about some local sports because, wow, uh, they beat Golden State. When everyone was watching this the Detroit though. Lions game, the Detroit Pistons came out and beat the Golden State Warriors. Like, I know it's a regular season and it doesn't matter as much or whatever, and Golden State's still probably going to win the NBA championship. No. I, <laughs> and, and, I mean, well, look at Cleveland right now. What's going on there? I mean, the whole— Like I, I was telling Evan, I was like, they have—it's the, the, a new-look team, and I just—they're going to be fine. I mean, they have Isaiah Thomas coming back in, like, what, January? We'll get to them Derrick later. They're, they're, they're my sneak <laughs> preview. Sneak preview. The Cleveland Cavaliers are my dud, and we'll get to, the, we'll get to them later. But, but these Pistons, though— these Pistons are for real. Tobias yeah. Harris, oh, yeah, he's he's playing crazy good. Twenty point nine points per game. I know. Baby. Like, where'd that come from? I don't know. And Reggie Jackson suddenly looks like a facilitator again, and kind of just is like reborn himself from the player that he was two years ago. He's playing phenomenal. He's able to. He's been a good scorer so far from the point guard position. Sixteen points per game. I mean, really, just kind of look at their whole like stat sheet, and they just across the board. They look like a starting five that you know actually can win a lot of games as a team atmosphere, that, more or less the superstar type that's, thing. That's the thing about Reggie Jackson is really last year he looked more of like a like a like a scoring point guard, almost like he was a shooting guard that was forced to play point guard. But yeah, he really came year, back but, from but, the injury. But but this year it's almost like you know he's he's just dishing the ball, and mm-hmm. that's what that's what he he cares about. That's what he's worried about, and the scoring has kind of just come as a as a product of, of his passing skills. It's been really nice to see Andre Drummond looks pretty good. He still has some some room to improve, I think, for the, for the amount of money that he's getting paid. But this this is interesting for sure. No, I mean, yeah, you look at it in any way, shape, or form, you can't really argue with it, just the way that they're playing. I mean, nevertheless, first place is first place. Record says a record says. They're tied to three teams there, uh, Orlando and Boston. Boston's been playing very well um, out of nowhere. Well, not really out of nowhere, but... They've been better than I think what people expect them to be with the way their schedule started. So the way they've been able to play is pretty impressive. But um, nevertheless, no one really expected the Pistons to be here. What do they got to do to maintain the success? I think they just got to keep doing what they're doing. They have to keep, you know, getting on the getting on these little streaks. You know, you know, you get on you get on a streak like you're on right now, and you got to keep it going. You got to keep it going against Los Angeles, and then you know Milwaukee, a really tough team. I think if the Pistons can just beat some of the teams that are maybe classified as is the more, more of the top-notch teams. I know the Pistons are, are in first in the East, but they're not. I, I wouldn't compare them to some of the, <laughs> oh, no, some of the better teams. Clearly. They're not the best team. But, the but East, I think, but. If, but I think if you can you can beat those teams, and you can kind of gain some momentum for yourself and keep rolling, maybe yeah, maybe you do lose you know one, one or two games uh, here or there, but you're able to bounce back from that just because you know that you have the ability to beat some of those top-notch teams. I just think it all starts with 
with, with your guys, with Avery Bradley, Tobias Harris, Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond, uh, you know, even Stanley. I, I, I just think you got to have guys doing their part, playing their game, and you get those big wins, and you, you, know, you toss those over your shoulder, but you, you keep going, but you also keep them in the back of your mind too. And remember that that you did beat those teams. I think that's what they got to do. Just just keep winning big games. I kind I mean I agree with you, but I think that there's they're kind of like looking at everybody else's like like these big teams like kind of their struggles in the beginning, they're kind of capitalizing on them. But I think that these these bigger name teams are going to step up eventually. They they're going to figure it out and then Detroit's kind of going to slowly fall down again. But I mean if they keep playing like this, they're going to I think they can Make, definitely be in the playoffs, maybe like a seven seed, but no, I I think for sure right now I think I think as a six seed is reasonable. I think I, I think there's no reason that they couldn't you know get that kind of a spot. I think there's no reason that they couldn't make the playoffs. Um, scoring 115 points against a team like Golden State I think says a lot to me. I think that last year that there's no way they could do that. I think what you see right now and so far this season is what a lot of people envisioned last year. They're playing as a team. They're coming together. They look like a bunch of guys that can play together. Maybe getting rid of KCP was that. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe that's a big part of it. Avery Bradley's been seeming to fit really well there so far. I mean, he's been able to shoot the ball pretty well and play pretty well in that system. Not that obviously their top player or anything, but he's fit in very nicely. And Reggie Jackson looks like the guy that he did two seasons ago, and Andre Drummond's kind of playing with a better attitude and looks like he really cares to be able to get better on his, his free throw shooting and everything else. He's been better. Um, I mean, it's kind of just the same thing. You look at almost every single game. The Pistons, you know, in like the top uh, stat categories, not their players that are really winning all of them besides Drummond in the rebound category because that almost happens every single time that he plays. But other than that, like points and assists and everything else, other players are winning on the other teams, but the Pistons still have more wins overall. It's because I think that they're more balanced as a team right now. I think it's like what a lot of people envisioned last year that didn't happen and a lot of people were disappointed about. Well, I think that all just comes with winning too. And mm-hmm. and also adding a guy like Avery Bradley, like you alluded to, he you know, he's one of those guys where he's a team player. He, he just wants to play basketball. He wants to win. He likes defense. You know, he's not all about the flashy plays and the scoring like, like KCP was. So I, I just love the pickup of Avery Bradley, and I, I think it's really almost just changed the identity of this team, and and it's kind of forced them almost to, to become winners uh, on the court. I, I really like that addition, and I think it's paying off, but we'll have to see how it continues throughout the year. They look like winners, seem like winners, they're playing like them. The Detroit Red Wings aren't. They're losing games right now. Um, they're on a losing, they've been on a losing streak. All of a sudden, they look like a team that can't win any games. I mean, they did on Saturday, but they're back on a losing skid. Look like a team is in a rebuild mode. Um, and then you look at the Tigers, who are clearly in a rebuild mode right now, and the Lions are on their downhill slope. Are the Pistons clearly the best team in Detroit right now? For sure. As sad as it is, yes. That's really sad, though. <laughs> Why, though? Well, they're, they're the best team because they only. Is it just teams. because of the record, or is there? Do you actually like believe that they're the best team in Detroit right now? Well, I mean, let's just let's just look at like you said, the Tigers rebuild. So just scratch mm-hmm. them. They're, yeah, they're they're 100 not the best team. Yeah. They're probably the worst. Yeah, and and the Wings are clearly in in a kind of. Young they're player in a re- they, rebuild. They should be in a rebuild stage. I don't think that their fans or their management or anything is willing to. Admit they're not going to admit it, but they're yep. they're too in a much rebuild pride. stage. So you scratch the wings because they're in a rebuild. They should be. They should be. And you look at really the only the only fair comparison is is the Pistons and the Lions. And the Lions are a team that they, they failed the city of Detroit for years and years. <laughs> and not not saying not saying that the Pistons haven't, but the Pistons yeah, really haven't, haven't really haven't been that good. Um, for the past what, like ten years, ten years or so. 
I mean, so, two years ago, it looked like the rebirth, and, you know, with the, the good sweep against Cleveland, everyone had their, uh-huh. you know, hopes that they could be yeah. better, and then they tanked. But but as far as the Lions go, I mean, they, they've just been bad. And they've, they've, been, they've been real bad for a really long time. And I, I just think they've, they've had the pieces, they've had the parts, but they haven't been able to do it. And for that reason, I, I just think the Pistons are a better... I think they're the Detroit's best team right now. And, and like I said, it, it's sad because the Pistons really aren't that good. Mm-mm. But I agree with that. Yeah. I think it's just really the only obvious choice. I mean, you look at them, they're winning, they're winning games and nobody else really is. The Lions did at first, but we'll see what they can do from this point on, I guess. I, I'd agree. I think that the Lions are a very close second. I don't think that they're far off. I think they have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball, but... The Pistons overall just look like a team that has come together the best, and they look like a team that really just, you know, kind of complements themselves in the best way possible. I think that they have enough talent in that team and enough big-name players to be able to, you know, at least be a playoff team, which in today's NBA is pretty much a success. <laughs> I, I think you give it about 20, 20 more games to the Pistons and bring back this same conversation right here, and I think it'll be really interesting to see where, you know, where the Pistons are at and where the Lions are at and where the Wings are at and... We all know the Tigers. They're, they're out. <laughs> Check but. back in about four years. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, hey, that was a good, good coaching hire. I'll give him that. I like Garden hire. I think that that was a good hire. So we'll see what he's able to do for them. Maybe, maybe they can speed up their uh, process a little bit. But I mean, we've seen it a lot in the NBA or the not the NBA, the MLB. Look at the team that's in the World Series right now. They were a rebuild team not that long mm-hmm. ago. So it can happen in a matter of you know time. It just depends on how your talent turns out and how you you know group it up. But nevertheless, Pistons definitely look like the most complete team right now. Um, real quick segment here to end, just because it is rivalry week here around campus and everything else. I wanted to bring Central Michigan um, into this uh, show for the first time. Evan and I both cover the football team here, so we're around it a lot, been around the locker room. It's definitely an important game. Um, you can feel the importance whenever you know John Bonamago talks about it or anything. This team seems like they really know that they need to get this win. I think that for a lot of the seniors here, they haven't beat them. Central's been beat the last four times. They've played against Western. Bonamago has never beat them. Um, I wrote a column that was on the website um, a week ago, um, about how you know this game really does have that much importance because if they don't get the job done, all of a sudden you know that big twist in college football is you have to be your rivals, and it means a lot to the people that are alumni here and a lot to the people around Mount Pleasant that follow the team. And if they're not able to get that job done, kind of starts to make you question: Is John Montemayo ever going to be his rival? It's it's similar with Harbaugh, who's one and four versus his. It's the same exact thing. If you can't beat your rivals, no matter how your record is against everybody else, you get judged in a different way by the fan base. So. You know, it kind of would question, you know, if they lose this game and end up tanking and don't even make a bowl game this year, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, is, you know, John the right guy to be the head coach here? So, you know, how big is this game against Western Michigan this week for the Chippewas? This is probably the, the biggest game of of John Bonamigo's career here. I think would it you, is, would too. You agree with that? I don't think that it's not. And I, and I think if he wins, it's the biggest win of his career. At CMU, it's on the road. By, by far, it's at night. Yep, it's going to be a, a game on ESPN where a lot of people are watching. Everyone's going to be think. watching. I think a lot of people will be uh, watching. Yeah, I think so too. It's a it's a rivalry game. Mm-hmm. If you're hanging out on a, on a Wednesday night and you don't have anything to do, and there's there's Mac football on, and you say, oh, it's Central Western. People know. Like, yeah. People, even if even if you don't follow the Mac or you don't you know follow, or even if you don't live in Michigan or, or whatever. I mean, if you, if you see Central Michigan, Western Michigan. I mean, most people know. Like most people know. I think you said it live in Michigan. Bit. People love football in the yeah. state. I mean, Michigan always gets like the most views every single week. Almost yeah. it seems like just because people like to hate watch them. It's the yeah. same. I mean, you see football in Michigan on, and it's two teams that are competing against each other in the state, whether the lower teams or not. You know, or the like lower in a way that you know they don't get as many views normally. I still think a lot of people pick yeah, this I mean, game up on a Wednesday. It's, yeah, it's it's prime time. You have nothing to do. You you watch football, right? Mm-hmm. And people are going to be watching. People are going to be uh, also checking out Shane Morris. You know, as, as he was a, a big name high school player. 
big name at Michigan, didn't really pan out. Now he's at Central. He's going to be a, a guy to watch for a lot of people. Well, like you said, I, he wrote about it. Said that he thinks he's ready for that rivalry. He thinks he, he's been around it yeah, enough. Yeah, he says he says he's ready. He says he hates Western. He says you know he's he's in it like he was a almost like he was a, a four year player here, uh, as far as his feel towards the game. Uh, I really just think it's going to come down down to Morris. I, I think that that's what it does come down to Morris, and then a little bit of the run game. But the guy just can't turn the ball over. He he said it himself. He said he's old. He's you know he's been here um, as far as playing football for long enough to know that he has to work on the turnovers and he can't turn the ball over in this game. And I think he's right. You, you can't turn it over against Western on the road in that kind of atmosphere. That, that's not going to win you the game. I agree with that. Um, uh, this is a huge rival game, and anything can happen in rival games. So I think this is a huge game. Like you said, Evan, the, probably the biggest one for John. So if he can come out with a win, I think that helps him a lot keep his job. I think that you know, no doubt, he wants it. I, I think that you know, it, honestly, I, I don't think I don't think he would lose his job at the end of the season, regardless. But I do think that he would definitely be in the hot seat, and another bad season will result in it. Nevertheless, the question would definitely start to be asked. There'd be a lot more questions than answers in this campus if they don't win this game, then don't pan out the rest of the season. Um, especially when you look at it now with John Wasink, who is hurt and he's going to be out mm-hmm. um, for this next game uh, tomorrow night. I mean, I, it's it's huge. I mean, there's a freshman quarterback coming in, and yes, he was able to do the job and get him the win against Eastern Michigan in overtime, but more or less that was their defense kind of holding him in it. Western has a good team. They have a good running back tandem. They've been able to run, and that's kind of been, you know, what Bonamago says himself, the recipe for success. It. Yeah, it's it's been great. It's been it's been the way that Western's been able to get the job done, even when you know Fleck was there and now with their new coach, it's still the same thing. But right now, with that a freshman quarterback in, and you have a line that's been able to get to the quarterback as much as they have. Joe Osman leads the nation in sacks right now with ten. You know, when you have a, a team that can create turnovers like Central Michigan has this season and be able to get to the quarterback, I don't care if it's on the road or not. I don't think there's any reason that Central Michigan should not come out of this game without a win. Yeah, they they should win, and I have a star next to to Osman's name. Is he's a guy that. I'm definitely gonna be watching in this in this game to see how he does and how he gets the quarterback. You know, he he's a guy that can do it. He's a guy that will do it. He's gonna have to step up. You know, the the I think the whole defensive line is gonna have to step up. You're gonna have to put a lot of pressure on on a freshman quarterback who doesn't have a ton of experience under center. And if you can do that, you can force some turnovers. And, and if Morris can can be smart with the football, I, I think CMU rolls away with the win. I think Morris being smart with the football is definitely key. I'm gonna say Central is gonna win this game. By how much? Uh, I'm gonna go fourteen to or seventeen to fourteen. Close, low scoring game. I like <laughs> it. Maybe maybe Armstrong's gonna come up with a big field goal or something <laughs> in this one. Nevertheless, I, I I think that they do get the job done as well. But I definitely think it's gonna a lot of it's gonna fall on Morris's shoulders too. Like you said, he simply has to protect the ball. At times this year, you know, he's looked like he's been errant. But I think now with his receivers back. You're really going to see what this guy can do because, I mean, a lot of people are putting a lot of criticism on him and saying he hasn't been doing that well. Every time he seems to have his receivers in there, I mean, yes, it's been against the worst opponents in their schedule, it seems like, but when Corey Willis has been full and Tyler Conklin's been back, they all of a sudden look like a great team. Obviously, Childress isn't back in, but Chapman's kind of the third player to that piece. They look like a a, a great receiving core that you kind of envisioned all season, and if they can have that um, in this game, I think that Morris plays well. I think you got to give Morris a lot of credit for coming here and not being conceited and you know saying, oh, it was a part of the biggest rivalry in college sports. He really has accepted and embraced the Central and Western rivalry, and I truly think that he will be ready for it. And I think for the first time since I've been in college, I think that Central does get the job done here against Western. I think that they pull it out 21-10. to 21-10? Yep. Okay. I, gotta, I, I think I, it's a bigger I, one than people think. I'm going I'm to go Central – 17, Western, 10. 
my first year here, they're going to pull out the win. <laughs> all right, all right. You started off good for you there, Evan. Yeah. Nevertheless, we'll see what happens. I'll be there tomorrow night. Um, you can follow me for a lot of updates on that. Um, I Will you still be uh, watching oh, yeah. that one? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll, be, I'll be updating <laughs> on, on, on Twitter. Don't worry. For sure. So Evan will still be on that as well. We'll uh, we'll make sure we get to the full coverage of that. We'll end with our stud and dud here quickly. Um, Evan, I'll start with you. Who's your stud? My stud is Jose Altuve. Uh, he, he's been a beast. Um, batting three forty four, <laughs> twenty two hits, seven home runs, thirteen RBIs. He's drawn four walks. He's got the best batting average left in the in the postseason out of the two teams in there, uh, the Strohs and, and the Dodgers. Game five against the Dodgers, three for five, a double, a home run, four RBIs. I mean, this guy's just an animal, and <laughs> he doesn't look like man. an animal. He doesn't look like an animal. <laughs> no, he 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 is like the smallest. He looks guy. like a guy would hit slap hit base hits and you know exactly. get on base to start something. But for that's kind of what that's kind of what he was in the past. But he, mm-hmm. he's. I don't know where this came from. It's all about that form of baseball. He's, it's all about that swing. He's up to something right now, and he he's my stud. He's been awesome. I think that game five should just get a stud in yeah, general. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. That I was unreal. I, I was mind blown, man. Just watching unreal. all the comebacks and stuff in that game, and the three run shots, like like it was nothing, and like both teams just didn't care, and they fell behind. They're like, okay, we're just gonna put a couple guys on base and tie this game back up. They just kept going back at each other. It was literally unbelievable to watch. Like one of the best baseball games I've ever watched in my mm-hmm. life, hands down. Can't can't. Think of many other that I watched that's better than that. Elena, what's your stud? Well, I I think that a lot of people on the Astros could have been my stud, but Evan Evan took my my <laughs> stud Altuve. But I'm gonna go with uh, uh, Alex Bregman though because he's 23 and he hit their game-winning single. That's crazy to be 23 and doing that, like playing like a veteran, like Altuve said. Um, yeah, so that's that's huge. I think I think you look up and down their lineup and just say like, wow, these guys are young. They're all studs. And they just don't care. They don't care. They don't fold to pressure. They just keep winning and playing great. And I, I remember when we were talking about before this series started how it's, I think a couple of us said it's going to be all about, all about the bats and not so much the pitching. Mm-hmm. And I, it's that's what it's been. So it's truly two teams that just let, right now have fire like into this series with their with their lineups and they believe in each other so much that it's just like. It's so hard to get a player out in this series, and that's what you want in a baseball series, especially to end the season, a World Series, keep people watching is games like this that go 11 innings and have 13 runs, and that, that I mean, like over 20 total. And, and the game took forever, too. Exactly. Like everybody was, but everybody was glued to the TV. Oh, yeah, you couldn't get everybody away from it. Glued. Absolutely no way you could get away from it. Um, my stud this week is JT Barrett. I just want to give that guy a lot of credit because he has had – Nonstop criticism since he's been at Ohio State that he can't win a big game and that he's not he's not the reason that they ever win a big game and it's never him. Um, obviously, it's Michigan last year he was the reason whether that call was good or not. But he he he's had his plays, but they've never been big ones that actually went in the touchdown like that. And I and I love the whole Gus Johnson call at the end of that game with tell him that he can't win a game and yelling that into the mic and you know saying it just kind of kind of really brought it all full to perspective when all the talk was about McSorley and Barkley and it looked like this game was over when they were up thirty four to twenty and it was going to be done. Ohio State. Did didn't fold. They came back, got the win. I think that is phenomenal. And JT Barrett showed who he truly is as a quarterback. I like him as an athlete personally. I think he's. I think he's a good player and a good guy. Um, good to see him get that done. I'll go the other way this time. Uh, Lana, what's your dud? Um, my dud is the Lions' red zone offense because it was obviously embarrassing against the Steelers. So yeah, it was nothing to write home about. That's for sure. Yeah. So my dud is the Cleveland Cavaliers. They gave up 112, 123, and 114 points. In three straight losses to the Nets, Pelicans, and Knicks. Those are not really playoff teams. (laughs) And they rank towards the bottom of the league defensively. Lineup combinations have not been good. And it's time for King James to get his team to flip the switch and start playing basketball again. And he will. 
right. We'll see what happens. See. Those two can get into more arguments as we go on throughout the season. But I, I'm, I'm loving it right now. I love the parody in the NBA instead of the same old, same old. But um, my dad uh, goes hand in hand with uh, Elena's pretty much. It's Jim Bob Cooter. Um, his play calling, like I said earlier in the show, was very predictable. And when you go back and you look at, I think it was week two or week three when the Lions were number two in the power rankings, and they said, this is not the same old Lions on NFL.com. They're 100% the same old Lions. They're doing what they've always done. They're 3-4. and four. They were 3-1. and one. Seems like I've, I've heard this story before. So with what Jim Bob Cooter is doing with that offense, it seems like he's taking Matt Stafford out of a, a good comfort zone. He's trying to use a running game that he simply doesn't have, and it's very predictable and bad. So ending up with the results that they've had against the Steelers and stuff just doesn't look good right now in Detroit. It's a very tough spot in Detroit for sports right now besides the Pistons, but we'll keep up with them and see what happens next. We'll uh, Also, if you follow us on CMY Sports and stuff, we'll keep up with you on that Central and Western game that we talked about. We'll have everything for you there. Um, for Elena, for Evan, I'm Andy, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Yeah.